everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Exponential Wisdom. I'm Peter Diamandis here with my dear friend, my coach, Dan Sullivan. And today, Dan, I want to talk about how do you think about what's going on? Because how you think about things change your life. When I say what's going on, obviously, Dan, very little else is going on other than in the background mode than COVID-19. Welcome, Dan. How are you? I was going to say good morning, but we're in different time zones, which doesn't matter virtually that much. And that's how to think about things is that time zones and geographic zones have changed their meaning in the last six or seven weeks. You know, our birthdays are a day apart. I have a few more calendar years than you do. But this is the unique event of my life so far in this respect that it's a common topic for everybody, regardless of where you are on the planet. I think you'd need an asteroid or something to have a common topic. I used to think it would be an alien invasion or an asteroid impact that would unify the globe's conversation. Well, it is an alien invasion. (laughs) It is. It is an alien invasion of sorts. And the world is fundamentally different. And, you know, we've been in this conversation globally for at least two months, you know, solidly March and April, other parts of the world, including parts of February and going into May and June. And that's long enough to create new habits and new ways of thinking. This is definitely unlike anything I've ever experienced, you've ever experienced, and will be the event of a generation. I think people will be talking about pre and post COVID-19 for a long time to come. Yeah, I remember when I was growing up in the 40s and 50s, the Depression was this type of topic, and of course, the Second World War, but it wasn't globally experienced in the same way. I saw a statistic once, and I, you know, I can seem to be out in left field, but I can bring it back to the topic. <laughs> but I noticed about three years ago that the best revenue grossing bands all the musicians were over 65 years old. It was the Stones and the Who and you know all these great groups from the late 60s or 70s. And it was really strange, but there was no new bands on the best grossing top 10. And what I thought back was it was the last time that musicians had national audience. They would have a national audience and then everything got fragmented in the late 70s and, you know, much more so today. So it was the last time that people could talk about that. I remember when Elvis, you know, came on the scene, everybody talked about Elvis. When the Beatles came on the scene, everybody talked about the Beatles, but that hasn't been true. And I think in terms of just events in society, society's becoming very, very fragmented and you don't really have any common topic to talk about to strangers, you meet strangers. But you know, any stranger you meet probably for the next 10 years, what was the pandemic like for you? And you would have an immediate conversation. Every place, anywhere on the planet. No, it's true. You know, one of the things, since much of our listeners for Exponential Wisdom are entrepreneurs, because that's the community we serve and care most about, you know, Dan, what's your experience like? I'll say for myself, I have never been more productive I've never been more on fire with more creative ideas. I've never felt closer to my teams. Is that similar for you? Yeah, I was having lunch with Babs before we came on today. 
I said, you know, if I had accomplished the amount of work over the last six weeks and I was living in a normal situation, I'd be really, really tired right now, but I'm not tired. I've just gotten so much done and I'm just one person in a company that's getting a lot of things done, but we're not experiencing the same strain that this amount of work would do if it was, you know, get in the car, spend 45 minutes getting to work. There's something about gravity that, you know, and <laughs> spatial movement and everything that actually tires you out. So it's going to be interesting to see who chooses to come back. I mean, we're probably going to give some flexibility of people coming back and whether they come to work. I mean, we haven't figured that whole part out, but what we're going to go through, everybody's going to go through the whole reopening. I mean, the word right now is, I think reopening is a political issue now. The momentum in that direction has shifted, and it's not a matter of really if, it's a matter of when, which week this month. And how, you know. What are the phases? That's what's being discussed. But I'll tell you, if I'd gone back in time and said, okay, in the beginning of March, right, when it was just beginning to have this conversation, if you had asked me, Peter, we're all going to be shut down, we're all going to be at home, we're all going to be doing this, do you predict on a 10 scale your level of productivity and energy? Would it be a zero, one, two, you know, eight, nine, ten? I would have probably have predicted, you know, a four or five because I was going to muscle it out because that's me. I'll make the best of anything and bring energy to it. I would have never predicted I'd be pegged at a 10. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the same. Yeah. I'm in contact with a couple hundred of our entrepreneurs through Zoom calls every four or five days. And it's uniform. It's not unique to you and me. It's just uniform upon the entrepreneur. Even the people who are taking a hard hit, you know, like there are some businesses and industries, there's just no action whatsoever. They're saying, you know, it's given me a chance to rethink the whole thing. I'm starting to look at, they're not shifting industries, but they're shifting models right now. Business models, it's all about business model innovation. And I tell you, it's also about mindset, right? Because there's a mindset that when this happens, you say, man, I am just screwed. And you bury yourself under the bed. Mm -hmm. And then there's a mindset, you know, because a lot of my business is event-oriented business, from Singular University to Abundance 360 to my speaking businesses and so forth. And instantly, once you get over the oh, wow, this is going to change everything. There's a bit flip. They say, okay, how am I going to reinvent this? And in that creative energy of how am I going to reinvent this? And and you know, I've been writing about and speaking about this and mentoring around the 60s that whatever you digitize enters a period of slow, deceptive, then it becomes disruptive and you dematerialize, demonetize and democratize everything. And so I'm working with my entrepreneurs. I'm working with all of my companies on how do you, let's dematerialize that. It's got to go to bits, ones and zeros, and it's going to become cheaper. Yeah, it's going to be 10 times cheaper, but your audience is going to be, you know, maybe 100 times larger. Yeah. I came across and I was very attracted to your model when we first met. I had enormous evidence of digitization. I had enormous evidence of deception. I had enormous evidence of disruption. But I've never so clearly seen evidence of the last three Ds. You know, the 
demonetization, the price comes down for things, dematerialization. Well, we all just got dematerialized over the last <laughs> six weeks. But the other thing is the democratization. I'll tell you an area where I see it, and it has to do with the working public's relationship with celebrities, mm. and especially the ones who live within about five miles of where you do. There have been some really god-awful attempts by celebrities to be meaningful to people. But what is really meaningful to people are truck drivers and delivery people and hospital workers, frontline healthcare workers. And my sense is that the kind of aristocracy of celebrity won't be the same. I think really talented people will come back and talented people think. But there are a lot of people who are just famous for being famous. They weren't famous because they were talented. <laughs> of the world, right? They weren't talented because they were good at anything. They were talented because they were famous. And I think that that's gone away simply because it's not meaningful. You know, what you're talking about seems frivolous. What you're talking about doesn't seem to relate to what's actually going on now. And I think a lot of them are lost at that level. But the other thing is that I think high-ranking people who are supposed to be leaders and haven't been leaders are losing their status. And that's in all realms of where you're supposed to have leadership. So I think that's a profound change. Well, gradually it'll come back. I think maybe it won't come back. And that's the democratization. And a lot of people said, I've got really interesting friends on social media. They're a lot more interesting than movie actors. They're a lot more interesting than news media celebrities. Yeah, it's true. You know, let's talk one second about what we are advising the entrepreneurs that we mentor and coach to do, because I think that's useful. You know, my Abundance Digital community is about 4,000 entrepreneurs. Your coach community is similar size. A lot of your coach community members are part of my Abundance 360 event. And What I'm telling people here is, listen, during times like this, it is a Darwinian evolution. It is an explosion of opportunity. It's a Cambrian explosion of new companies are going to be created. I mean, I have started one that's well capitalized and running in the last four weeks. And I've come up with three or four that I found a who that I've tossed it to and said, develop this idea. You know, out of the 2008 economic crisis, which had some similar elements of retrenchment of capital and stock markets going down 30% and so forth, but not, not the behavioral change. But we still had amazing companies, Airbnb and Uber and WhatsApp and Venmo and Slack emerge out of that. You know, Zoom is emerging out of this as a global leader and Facebook rooms and all kinds of other platforms are emerging. So I'm telling my entrepreneurs, listen, Your job is to track problems, look for great problems, look for places where people are pissed, people are not getting served, where there are things, and then jot them down and then see if you're excited about that and then start a company to solve those problems. The world's biggest problems, the world's biggest business opportunities. What are your thoughts, pal? What are you advising? Yeah, my first instinct is there's a natural tendency to dwell on yourself. So I said, forget about yourself, focus on others. And I think that from a morale standpoint, that's very, very important because there's a tendency to get isolated when something like this happens. And humans are not good in isolation. They hallucinate. They have all sorts of tests of sensory deprivation tests. 
and then what people are taken out. Well, to a certain extent, we've been isolated. First of all, I think the term social distancing is a complete misnomer. It's physical distancing. Socially, I think people are more connected. Really important point. Yeah. Actually, I think that important, crucial, central relationships that people have are much stronger today than they were two months ago, okay? But the physical distancing has some interesting outcomes because you've got to think ahead at how am I going to get this product? How am I going to get this service? And the only answer is it's either a who or it's a technology that's going to get you the service, you know? You know, you talk about Darwin, but a lot of people took Darwin that it was cutthroat, blood red competition. But actually, the number one survivable skill is actually collaboration. It's not competition. Yes. Talk about that. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. There's a guy who won the Nobel Prize in the 40s and 50s named Hayek. He was an Austrian who ended up in North America. And he said, you know, capitalism has gotten a bad name. First of all, it was never named except by the people who hated it. And he said that capitalism isn't actually about capital. Capital is a byproduct of capitalism. He said what capitalism is is an ever-increasing system of greater cooperation among strangers. And he said in most parts of the world, you can only cooperate with family members or friends but capitalism, you can cooperate with strangers. I would say that the greatest winners of this are actually the cooperators with strangers, not the people who compete against each other. Yeah, I think that's so true. And one of the things that's enabling collaboration and cooperation, by the way, it's not just cooperation and collaboration with other people, it's collaboration with technology Mm -hmm. as well, which we've talked about as well, that this decade, it's really a decade about not AI replacing you, but how do you collaborate with AI and robotics and all these technologies? I see that very clearly. The most extraordinary companies and success stories are about vast levels of collaboration. And you talked about Zoom. I just looked at the numbers. On March 1st, they had 10 million daily users. Two days ago, they had 300 million daily users. They've gone 30 times their traffic. And now Facebook is apparently going to create a personal version. And actually, I think it'll help Zoom because Zoom is really designed for business. You know, I mean, the key winners using Zoom are really businesses. I mean, I don't know if it creates productivity jumps in your personal life, but it certainly creates productivity jumps in your business life. I'm a history reader, and two things I want to say about this is that scary times for an entrepreneur is a matter of degree. It's not a matter of kind. And what I mean is, Peter, think back when you became an entrepreneur. Has there ever been a month when you weren't scared about something? I mean... No, because I set out ridiculous objectives. I had no idea how I was going to do it, and I had, you know, constantly... So my sense is that when entrepreneurs encounter a situation like that, and you've done a good job at handling scary times before, you're not starting at zero for your response. You're starting at about 80%. You got about a 20% entirely new situation that for the first week or the first 10 days, hey, this is really 
I have a guy who's in the fashion accessory, but you know him well because he's been to every A360. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember him because at the end of the very first session that we did at Marina Del Rey, he said, holy you know, <laughs> and <laughs> I blew his mind. Yes, so he's just gotten hammered. You know, I mean, he had sixteen million dollars worth of shipments that were just stopped. They can't come into the country because they're from China and everything like that. So you know, I mean, it was first two weeks, three weeks. It was really tough. And about week four, he said, "You know, I've been looking at things here." And I've got an entirely different profit model that's been hidden from sight. And he says, I've just discovered this entirely new profit model. So you went back to this new business model. Well, that could be industry-wide, but it could be just sitting there with what you're doing. But it takes, I don't know, there must be some sort of scientific thing that you put things under pressure and what they actually are, uh, are revealed by pressure, but I get a sense that the intense pressure. Yeah. Well, what happens is, is that under intense pressure, the systems that were breaking already and were undergoing a slow death, because a lot of times we, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we know we should take action. We should fire that person. We should kill that business line. We should stop investing our time, money, attention, whatever it might be, resources and we don't, this comes along and it is like, okay, it's decision time. I can't afford not to make a decision. So it's the pressure forces decisions that you needed to make anyway. Then it's how do you reinvest your attention, which is your most scarce resource, and then your capital and then your employees and other resources. Yeah, but I'm certainly different going into the third month that I was at the beginning of the first month. My team is different, how we interact every day. And I don't see there's any going back to any previous way that we're... So as we think about, you know, thinking about our thinking here, which is something you and I both love doing and sharing is, okay, when June, July, August, September comes along, what actions are you thinking about now that will allow you to be ahead So first of all, you have to realize that you're not going to return to the way things were. Mm -hmm. So it's whatever business you're in, you have to realize, okay, what efficiencies have you gained? In some cases, you've let go of 10%, 20%, maybe 30, maybe. I know a couple of organizations I've been involved with, one as an investor or board member, have pared down 50%. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to rehire that 50%. So maybe you'll bring back a few choice people, but have you digitized your business so that you can do it much more efficiently? Are you going to bring back software Mm -hmm. or AI as a service versus humans to be more efficient as a company? A big change is going to be commercial real estate. A lot of companies have canceled commercial real estate contracts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies are just going to say, we don't need that much real estate we'll operate at a third of it or a half of it and we'll use Zoom. I'll give my employees a small budget to get better bandwidth or better cameras or lighting in their home. And we'll come into the office for meetups and conferences, but not for working at a desk. Yeah, that would be certainly true with ours. And I mean, we've completely switched our video production team 
we have a really great studio set up and everything else, and I'm sure we're going to use it, but I think we'll do a lot more. See, the thing is, it's like, you know, there was this worry that if we make our Zoom workshops too good, then people <laughs> won't want to have live sessions afterwards. And I said, uh, I think you should put that in an impact filter and explain it a little bit more because <laughs> I was sitting there, I was like, we're going to do a mediocre job so they don't leave us. So. <laughs> you know, so I said, here's what I believe, that most of our clients will want both when we come back. They want the live for one reason, and they have discovered that they want the digital, the virtual for another reason. It's not one replaces the other. I mean, movies were going to get rid of live theater. There's more live theater than ever. Television was going to eliminate movies. You know, the internet was going to eliminate television. There's more of it than ever. People want it all. The humans never give up a capability. Once they have it, they never give up a capability. I think that's it. And the other thing that has been with us, I mentioned just before we came on, Peter, that we've normalized the present situation. I caught you saying something that was almost like some people say, well, that was a terrible thing. He says, I hope this doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, you're starting to feel normal about Peter operating at a 10. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of my friends have said this. I've secretly felt this because, you know, again, there are many people who have lost lives and have had impacted and businesses out of, yeah. have gone bankrupt and jobs lost. And there's a, you know, significant price. Some of this self-inflicted by our choices we made in the economy. But a lot of folks have said, listen, I have loved spending more time with my kids and not getting on another damn airplane. <laughs> and I hope this doesn't end. This is like a magical period. It's like, I feel it's like it's going to end soon. And it's like, yeah. 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 Going back, because you've been predicting, you know, the technological future long before I met you. Did you ever have in your mind that the trigger, the big trigger would be a pandemic? No, I know that pandemics have always been a major concern. XPRIZE every year picks a theme for what it's going to be focusing on in the year ahead. And the theme we chose for 2020 that we chose back in 2019 was addressing humanity's existential threats. What are the things that could really do damage to us? And pandemics were number one on that list. Mm. Number two in the list is something we have not spent anywhere near enough time or energy is asteroid impacts. Mm -hmm. you know, there are still millions of rocks flying through our solar system. They hit the planet on a regular interval. The last big one was back, I think, in 1908 in Siberia. Okay. Yeah, that wiped out millions and millions of acres. We knocked out all the trees for a radius of 100 miles. Yeah. Uh, they just flattened all the trees. <laughs> like massive, like, you know, yeah. thousands of Hiroshima bombs. It was lucky it did it in the middle of no place, but we could have an asteroid that is a relatively small one land on, you know, London, New York, Chicago, Taipei, whatever it is, and would cause massive economic upheaval globally. Mm -hmm. And we're not prepared for that. No. Uh, and so we need to be prepared for that. Nuclear is still an issue, whether it's dirty bombs or electromagnetic pulses wiping out 
communication systems, and then there's environmental crisis. So we still have to be doing that. I did not suspect the impact of a pandemic technologically when I wrote my last book, The Future is Faster Than You Think. I sort of predicted what's going to happen in the next 10 years. These three months have moved us two years into that time horizon, easily, if not three years. Uh, it's very interesting. You know John Farrell. He's an uh, IP lawyer in yes. Silicon Valley. And Babs and John and I had a call about three weeks ago. And he said, you know, I'm heavily invested and I've done all the IP work for about six bio labs in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, we may be very close to solving the virus problem because he said, we've been working on it for 40 years ever since HIV and AIDS came along. And he said, I've seen some solution that they've figured out actually how you get on it. And it has to do with the killer cells in the body go to sleep. And you know this from all of your um, work. stem cell work. It's very, very interesting. Stephen Palter, who's an IBF doctor, one of my clients, and he says, very interesting that pregnant women are getting COVID, but their fetuses aren't. And it's another indication that the placenta, you know, anything that could threaten the fetus is killed off very, very, very fast. And they're finding that newborns are being born from COVID-infected women, but they don't have the virus. The babies don't. And I think it's because of the all the good stem cells, and especially the killer stem cells that a newborn has. And that introduces a whole different topic, you know, but it's very, very interesting how we're discovering these things. And here's a thought that I had, like we have metal detectors now when we go into things. Would we have virus detectors? Yeah, well, I think we're going to change. And this is probably worth our next exponential wisdom is looking at how different parts of the world are going to change on the flip side of this from retail and travel and hotels and events and so forth. So let's maybe does that sound like a fun conversation for our next session? That sounds like we're coming to the end of one and we're going to start a new one. I'll wrap just to hit on what you said. Yes, natural killer cells, the cells in our body that defend us. And one of my companies, I'm co-founder and vice chairman of Cellularity with an amazing scientist, CEO, Dr. Bob Hurry, MD, PhD. Cellularity is the largest banker of placental-derived cells, and one part of those are natural killer cells. And we're actually in the clinic right now augmenting people's immunity, giving people who are on ventilators or just before they get on an infusion of hundreds of millions of natural killer cells that upgrade their own immunity levels and help them fight off the virus. So that's that. I'll mention one other thing. We talk about deceptive and disruptive. We're still in the deceptive phase of the thousands of solutions going on around the world and millions of experiments going on. So we see so little of them especially because the news only gives us the negative news all the time. We don't see the positive news, but there are millions of little experiments going on and thousands of clinical experiments going on. And we're just beginning to see the early disruptive phase. And we will start hearing in June, July, August, September of, oh, where'd that come from? Oh, where'd that come from? That new antiviral, that new therapeutic, that new vaccine, It's because it's brewing. We just only hear about the negative stuff, not the positive stuff. 
All right. All right. I'll see you on the next episode, pal. This is important conversations for, for all of us. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Dan. See you soon.